You're listening to a podcast of The River in Durant, Oklahoma. We hope that what you're about to hear will bless you and empower you to live the life that God has called you to live. We hope that it will strengthen you in faith and that it will help you better understand and better recognize who you are in Christ Jesus. I love the river. I want to take you to a message that I've, I've preached here before and under different circumstances. I did it as a series, but today I want to talk to you about the fact that God is good. There are so many aspects of the goodness of God, you can't talk about it enough. But I feel like it's time that I say it again in a significant way, that God is good. It's one of the major principles of faith that God is good and only does good. If God is basically good, then no evil can come from God. Amen. Thank you for your enthusiasm. Amen. I said he, he's not the kind of God that goes around making people sick, goes around destroying homes with hurricanes and tornadoes. It's shocking to me how many people still believe that, that when a hurricane hits New Orleans, it was the judgment of God. I said, no, it was bad placement of a city. <laughs> Poor choice to build a city. That's all that is. Now, if you can, if, the day a hurricane hits Denver, I'll be in. I, I'll say that was God. <laughs> because a hurricane hits New Orleans, that's no news at all. Yeah. Can I have a better amen? amen? You're not a prophet because you can predict that. I can predict that probably in the next two years when we'll hit New Orleans. Or it'll get real close. That's not God. It's not even prophetic. It's just pathetic. It's all that it is. <laughs> God is good. God is a good God. That means He is good all the time, and everything He does is good. I, I began to look back over my life years ago and looked at all the things that are good about my life, that I call good about my life. Not everybody would call it good, but, but I call it good. And every single thing that's good in my life, I had to admit, came from God. And everything else that was not so good in my life came from my own efforts or from the devil. It came as a result of some kind of waywardness on my own part, listening to my enemy or trying to figure things out myself. Don't look so religious. You tried to figure things out for yourself, too. <laughs> Haven't you? How many of you have? And it went south. Yeah. We think we know so much. We think we know more than we do. Kind of like the city slicker that showed up on the farm. And he pointed at, it, pointed at it over there and he said, What kind of cow is that? Why, did that cow, why does that cow not have horns? Farmer said, Well, there are several reasons why a cow doesn't have horns. Sometimes when they're babies, we put, drop a little acid where the horns are going to come in, and it stops them from growing. Other times, even after they come out, we dehorn them. We, got, we have, we have dehorned shears that we can just cut them right off. And there's another reason why cows don't have horns. Sometimes there's the pole breeds. That means they're born without horns. They're just genetically altered and engineered so that they don't have horns. But none of those are the reason that cow don't have horns. The reason that cow doesn't have horns is because that cow is a horse. <laughs> 
Sometimes you look at something you think you know, you, you think you know it was God, but it wasn't God at all. We think we know so much. When the Bible is clear, and it starts out with this clarity in Genesis chapter 18. Let's turn there, Genesis 18. Verse 16. Genesis 18, 16, and the men rose up from thence. Now the men here, the men here are actually angels in form of men. That's what it says in the Bible. Later on, it, this is understood. And looked toward Sodom and Abraham went with them to bring them on their way. He's walking them out as it were to the gate. Verse 17, and the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do? The Lord speaking through one of these three men, these angelic men. Some say Christ may have been in that since they were, they were calling him Lord, one of them. Shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do? This is the, the judgment coming upon Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, verse 18. Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. What this is saying is that God takes covenants seriously. God will not do anything in the earth without talking to his man Abraham. Because by now, Abraham has already been made righteous in chapter 15. And he has been circumcised and changed his name from Abram to Abraham in chapter 17. Now we're in verse 18 of Genesis. His name is Abraham, he's circumcised, and he's righteous. And he's the only man on planet earth in that condition, as far as we know. Those days, God didn't have a lot of friends. He had one. He had one friend. And everybody who was associated with Abraham got the blessings of Abraham. Amen, amen. But he said, seeing that surely Abraham shall become great and a mighty nation and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him, I cannot hide what I'm about to do from him. God takes covenant seriously. It's a sad thing to me that people don't know how serious God is about covenant. That when he made a covenant with man, he made a covenant with all, covenant with all men. In 2 Corinthians chapter verse 19 he says that is to say that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself and hath committed unto us this word or this message of reconciliation when God made a covenant to save the world by grace he saved everybody by grace from his perspective but covenants are not made one way covenants are made with two parties involved so you are saved by grace God having called Jesus Sin for you that you might be made the righteousness of God in Him by faith. You are saved by grace through faith. It's a hand reaching down and your hand reaching up. Amen. All right? He's serious about this covenant thing. He would not save you without, without your involvement in it. So nobody goes to heaven that doesn't believe the message. I hear you're excited about that. But anybody can go to heaven. Hallelujah, because God reconciled the whole world in Christ. Amen. Amen. But the problem is, men want to be saved by grace and not by faith. 
So they're out there, oh God, they, oh God, you see my need, you see my need, you see my need. They're, they're speaking the language of need all the time. But God doesn't speak the language of need. If God spoke the language of need, if he was moved by need, he would never spend one more day in America. Our beggars are fat. Our beggars are overweight here. He wouldn't spend one more day here if need is what moved God. He'd be, in the, he'd be in the desolate places of the earth trying to help people who were in desperate need. It proves God's not moved by need. God is moved by one thing. God is moved by faith. Amen. Always has been, always will be. It's one of the reasons why Jesus had to go around saying, and don't tell anybody. I'm going to answer a question for you. Have, anybody, have any of you ever wondered why Jesus said, don't tell anybody, don't tell anybody, don't tell anybody? Slow down, don't tell anybody, don't tell anybody. Just be, keep it quiet, keep it to yourself. You know why he had to do that? Because it is a fact that Jesus was crucified, died and buried and rose again on days that were specifically set aside by the calendar of heaven. He had to be at that destination at that moment to be crucified. Just before Easter, just before what we call Easter, Passover. At Passover, so he could rise from the dead and bring the first fruits offering from the grave as first fruits began right after Easter. And it was all perfectly timed. All those feasts were about his death, burial, and resurrection. They are all symbols of what he did. And he had to be there at that moment. But I believe he started his ministry too early. In John chapter 2, he's there at the, at the wedding feast. And Mary comes and says, Son, they need more wine. They're, they're, out, they're all out of wine. And Jesus says, Woman... Now, I like what uh, Mark Lowry says about that. He says, he's from Texas. He said, in Texas, if you ever address your mother with the, starting with the words, the word woman, <laughs> next thing you know, you're going to be wearing your teeth as jewelry <laughs> in a necklace or something, you know. <laughs> woman, what have I to do with you? My hour has not yet come. He said, it's not time for me to start working miracles. But what mama do? She acts like she didn't hear that. Because this mama already is, is a faith woman. She's already a faith woman. She already said, be it unto me according to thy word. I know I hadn't known a man. But you said it. That settles it. I'm in faith here. Give me that baby. So she looks at the servant and says, whatever he tells you do, do it. What are you going to do now, big boy? <laughs> and what Jesus do? Fill the pots. Fill the pots. When you've got a praying mama, you might as well just give up right now. When you've got a woman who operates in faith on your behalf, just forget trying to resist. Resistance is futile. <laughs> But he's moved by faith. Faith is the highest law, even according to heaven's calendar. Heaven had a strict calendar, but there was a law that was enforced that day. It was a and God is ministry started too soon. That's why he's always telling people, don't go tell anybody. Don't go tell anybody. 
Does this make sense to you? How many of you had that answer a question for you? Five of you. Okay. Enough. They say the loneliest creature on earth is a whale who has been calling out for a mate for over two decades. They've been tracking this poor whale. And they never can get a girlfriend. Poor guy. You know what's wrong with him? He's, he's, he's too high-pitched. She's thinking, that's a kid. Why is a kid wanting love? I, he shouldn't be doing this. Where's his mama? No, ma no female has ever answered him, they say. Poor lonely whale. This speaks the wrong language. This speaks the wrong language. Listen, if you're going to speak God's language and attract Him to your, to your situation, stop talking to Him about your need. Yes. Talk to Him about what you believe He can do. Glory to God. It doesn't work. God speaks the language. Very different from the language of man. God speaks the language of faith. Man speaks the language of need. Verse 19, for I know him, God says, that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he hath spoken of him. Wow. Abraham will keep the way of the Lord to do justice, and he will command his children after him. This is, he said, I know this about him. He's not just one that believed me for righteousness. He will live as though he is God in the earth. He will have a standard for his own life. How much of the blessings of your covenant you receive depends upon your actions. You have a covenant, you might as well receive the blessings. Don't let there be infringements. Don't let there be holes in your days. Plug up the holes. Keep the covenant. Stay clean. Hey, man, y'all aren't shouting right now, I know, but I'm going to say it anyway. How much of the blessings of the covenant you receive depends upon your actions. I, I heard years ago of a guy who had written a book and went around preaching about brokenness all the time. I won't mention his name because he's gone to heaven. He was a good and decent man, but he, he thought he had a re revelation, but he didn't. He had an abomination, if you ask me. He wrote the book and preached on it all the time. Brokenness, brokenness, brokenness is the way to God. I said, where is that in the Bible? The Lord showed me this and the Lord showed me that. And he had this real strong prophetic ministry, but it was so crazy. So where's, the, where's that in the Bible, brother? I never got to speak to him directly. I had people tell me, oh, you got to hear him speak. It'll is, it is break your heart. I said, then I'm not going to hear him speak if it's going to break my heart. Yeah. <laughs> my heart was broken when I came to Jesus. He, he was anointed to bind up the broken heart. He wouldn't, yes. have, he wouldn't have anointed to break my heart. Yeah. Our students even prayed it for a little while, a few years ago, until I got there and started preaching against it. 
They'd say things like, oh, break my heart. I said, God's not going to break your heart. That's the devil's business. Some girl, but that's not, that's not. (laughs) Some boy. God's not in the business of breaking hearts. Well, this guy dies. I was in a restaurant in Houston, Texas. Somebody came up to me, did you hear so-and-so died? I said, no, I'm so sorry. I didn't know that he had died. They said, oh, it's all right, brother. It was a prophetic thing. I was sitting at a restaurant, and the guy standing up here beside me. I said, prophetic? How is that prophetic? Well, you know, his message was brokenness. And they said they, and they did an autopsy, and his heart had actually burst open <laughs> and broken. Don't you see that as prophetic? I said, no, I see that as bad. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, no, you missed the point. I said, no, I've not missed the point. He confessed it so long, he got what he confessed. That's not prophetic. It's not prof- prophetic. That's just you getting what you confess. And your life will go in the direction of that which you, what you truly believe. And what you believe is mandated by what you constantly confess and hear. Stop talking about being broken. You don't want to be broken. You want to be fixed. Who didn't want to be fixed? I was broken when I came to Jesus. <laughs> he fixed me, praise God. How much of the blessings you receive of the covenant depends on your actions. Verse 20. And the Lord said, Because the cry of Solomon and Gomorrah is great and because their sin is very grievous, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the cry of it which has come unto me. And if not, I will know. Well, listen to me. Did God already know or not? Or is it, are we listening to something that sounds strange to our ears? You need to understand this. The Almighty is not like you. He has full control of what He wants to know and what He doesn't want to know. How many of you have some memories you wish you could forget but have been unable to to this point? That's because you're not God. God has the full power to forget anything He doesn't want to know. Like anything about your past sins. He just said, I will remember them no more. How do you do that? Because I'm God. (laughs) How many of you are thankful that God can forget what he wants to forget? Do any of you have anything you're glad he forgot about you? Amen. Praise God. Greg C. is not in here. He needs to be in here raising both hands. That's what he needs. (laughs) I pick on Greg a lot, but he's such, such a good guy. I want to tell you that God can withhold His foreknowledge. He doesn't have to know anything He doesn't want to know. He is fully in charge of what He knows and what He doesn't want to know. And I believe here He withheld His foreknowledge to say, If not, I will know. Because He's waiting for Abraham to step up and to see what Abraham is going to do. Verse 22, And the men turned their faces from thence and went toward Sodom, but Abraham stood yet before the Lord. They turned to go toward Sodom, and he got around in front of them. Now wait just a minute. You're telling me you're going to go destroy Sodom? Now who lives in Sodom? His nephew Lot, his brother's boy. You're going to do what? It's a Sodom. Uh, Hang on. 
We've got to talk this over. When you are in covenant with God, you have rights others do not have. You have rights others do not have when you're in covenant. Nobody could stand in front of God and say, no, I'm not going to let you go until we talk this over. I know you're God and I'm just a man, but we're in covenant, so we're going to talk this over. We're going to talk this over. You have rights that others do not have. Let me tell you a story. I've told this story before, but some of you, many of you are new. You haven't heard this story about your pastor, Miss Ann. What a dangerous little German she is. <laughs> she, uh, one time we were on a, on a highway in south of Dallas, Interstate 20 going across the south side of Dallas, the Metroplex. We were headed around to Mesquite with a fellow to look at, at a new car. We were in his van. We were just kids in Bible college. We were just 22 years old, something like that. And we come up on this car that is jacked up on one of those big bumper jacks. You know, one of those big, tall, skinny bumper jacks. Great big heavy car on a little tiny... Who ever dreamed that up? I don't know, but they did. It's balanced precariously in front of it, jacked up. And when we got up beside the car, we saw that there was a man laying over there with his feet toward the car, laying on his back like this. Completely spread out. He had had a heart attack, apparently. It was blazing hot, summertime. The guy driving the van pulls over and says, oh, it looks like a heart attack victim. And this guy was trained as, uh, in CPR. No. He was a trained paramedic, but he knew CPR and all that. So we jump out of the car and run back there. He doesn't have his bag with him, doesn't have anything. So he's trying to save this poor guy's life. He jumps down on his knees and starts breathing into this guy's mouth. I had never seen two men in my entire life. I had never seen two men in that position. It was a little, a little weird for me. He'd pump on his chest and breathe into his mouth and pump on his chest and breathe into his mouth because I didn't know anything about it. It was kind of a new thing for me, you know, the, even the whole operation of CPR. Miss Ann's now certified in CPR, so if any of you have any problems, just call her. <laughs> uh, and, and, and this guy's turning blue and looking bad and not breathing very shallowly and, and with a, and his heart's fibrillating and we don't have paddles, we don't have anything. And Jim, the guy we were with, says to me, I'm, I'm standing, I'm kind of knelt down on one knee, and I've got the guy by the hand. And I'm trying to pray, but I'm trying to pray quiet because other cars have stopped, and we've got a half moon of people standing around us right here. With a wife and, the, and another woman that was in the car with them, they're over there, they're all scared and chewing their nails. And, and Jim looks over at me and says, I'm losing him. But he whispered it really loud so everybody around heard. And I'm thinking, that's creepy. <laughs> I've never touched a dead guy except in a casket. Now you can tell what kind of prayer I was praying. Oh God, do something. Lord, do something. I've never, Lord, bless him, help him, help him, Jesus. You know, that kind of prayer. If it be your will. I really, I, I really didn't say that, but I, I was just praying God do something. I didn't know what God should do. I just knew he needed to do something. 
Miss Ann, 22 years old, straight out of a church that don't have a piano. You figured it out? Okay. I didn't mean for you to figure it out, but that's, that's, the, church, that's the church she was raised in. Not only did they not have a piano, they didn't have miracles, they didn't have anything. They didn't believe in anything. Everything that they said they believed that could be defined by what they didn't believe really didn't leave much. But she had just read the Apostle of Faith, Smith Wigglesworth's book. Smith Wigglesworth was a great apostle of faith, of miracles, and she had just read his book. And she was full of fire. When he said, I'm losing her, I'm losing him, Miss Ann lost her mind. <laughs> Fell down on her knees and slammed her hands down on his chest. Just knocked, almost knocked the guy out of the way. Slammed her hands down, down on the guy's chest and said, No! You will not die but live. I command you to live. Death, take your hands off him. Come back to life in Jesus' name. Live! That's what she said. Something like that. And the dead guy had color flushed back into his face. Almost instantly, color came back into his face, and he started breathing normally. And I'm standing there stunned. I'm just standing there holding the guy's hand going, who was that? I was really thinking, I could have said that. I should have said that right there. But I didn't. And Jim said, Jim said, I think he's going to make it. And I said, I don't think he's got a choice. <laughs> and just, about that time, just about that time, the ambulance showed up and hauled him off, you know. We never did hear any more about it, but I thought, my goodness, what have I hooked up with here? <laughs> and my life has never been the same. Amen. Amen. Praise God. But when you are in covenant with God, you don't have to put up with death like that yeah. and calamities like that. Woo! And disease like that. You have rights that others do not have. Yes. Abraham stood in front of the angel. And Abraham drew near and said, Wilt thou also destroy, verse 20, 23, destroy the righteous with the wicked? Peradventure there be fifty righteous within the city. Wilt thou also destroy and not spare the place for the fifty righteous that are therein? Listen to what Abraham says to God. That is something that should be far from thee. That be far from thee to do after this manner, to slay the righteous with the wicked, and that the righteous should be as the wicked. That be far from thee. This is Abraham talking to God, telling him what's right and what's wrong. That be far from thee. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? What kind of God are you? Woo. Can I say something to you? You have a stronger covenant with God than Abraham did. Amen. And he dared to talk to the Almighty like that. <laughs> Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Be wrong for you to go down and destroy Sodom with, with, with 50 righteous in it and kill all them too. And apparently the Lord agreed. I wonder if the Lord changed his mind when Katrina hit New Orleans. No, because God didn't send Katrina to New Orleans. God only does what is right. 
and judgment on the righteous is not right. You should write this down someplace or log this in your mind. Judgment on the righteous is not right. It's called double jeopardy. He promised us that our judgment has already fallen on Jesus 2,000 years ago. What kind of God is this that breaks his, breaks his word like that? He's not the God of the Bible. Your sins have been nailed to a cross 2,000 years ago. And all it takes for you to enact that power in your life is to believe it. To believe it. God only does what is right. And judgment on the righteous is not right. A few years ago, Ann and I were in, living in Kyle, Texas, which is close to San Marcos, Texas, between Austin and San Marcos. We had pioneered a church down there, and we really liked the area a lot. It's not Oklahoma, but it's, it's all right. And Terry Sparks and Sandy lived down there at the same time, our best friends. We've been hanging out with them for a long time. And we got up on a day, and the girls didn't want to fix breakfast. I said, what shall we do? She said, go to town and buy us something. I said, okay, I can do that. So down there they have these grocery stores that are like cities all in themselves. They're called H-E-B. You ever been in one of them? Yes. We need H-E-Bs in Oklahoma. Yes, we do. Howard E. Butt started them, H-E-B. So we went to the local H-E-B and they have everything there. They have a beautiful deli, breakfast foods and all that. So Terry and I, when we drove onto the parking lot, we heard a noise. Something like that. <laughs> we did not rehearse that, I promise. We did not rehearse that. We heard a, no we heard a noise. A real tinny sounding voice yelling out, I have been tampered with. I have been tampered with. I have been tampered with. I thought, I thought who puts a preposition at the end of a statement? <laughs> <coughs> but that's what it was. I have been tampered with. I, I said, what? I said, what is that noise, Terry? He said, I don't know. <coughs> and the closer we got, he said, oh, I know what that is. These days, he said, John, you can buy an alarm system for your car. And if anybody touches your car that doesn't have a key, it'll, it'll, it'll scream at them, I have been tampered with. I said, really? He said, or any message you put in, it'll say it. He said, look around, there'll be a Lexus or a Cadillac, some, some new, there'll some, be some really high-powered car uh, uh, that... that uh, that, that's, that's got that, it, because then they just come out and it, they were very expensive. We got out of the car and started toward the door and a guy comes running out of H-E-B with his fob and he's pointing, he's trying to get that thing to stop talking. And he's running toward this little car, a little dried up roller skate of a car. <laughs> I bet he didn't give $17 for the thing. It was... <laughs> Terry said, 
That's amazing. That guy spent more on his, on his, on his security system than the car was worth. And we went in, came back out, and the parking place where that little car had been was empty. And Terry started laughing again. He used to wear a toupee back then. And I'm telling you, the toupee was nearly sideways, but when he was through laughing, he was, he was slapping his leg and laughing so hard. Yeah, let me get a drink of water. He said, he said I can't get over it. That guy, must, that guy, how stupid can you be to spend that much on a security system for something so worthless? And all of a sudden it hit me. I said, uh-oh. Oh, I hear something. He said, you're going to preach, ain't you? I said, you bet I'm going to preach. I said, listen to this. God spent so much to buy me so I could know I was secure. My security system was immeasurably more important than I am. It was the blood of Jesus that paid for my security. Glory to God. And let me tell you something. What that does for you is it allows you that when you get tampered with to start screaming, I have been tampered with! You have rights not everybody else has. Because somebody paid a high price for your security, glory to God. The righteous are already judged. You have been judged righteous. That means that God's not angry with you. Chapter, chapter 18, verse 26 says, And the Lord said, If I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sakes. Huh. That tells you something that Paul said. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, we studied it in our Bible study last Wednesday night. As long as you are here, you hold back judgment from being poured out on evil men. We think that God will kill, the world and religious systems think that God kills righteous people to get at the wicked. It's right the opposite. God spares the wicked because of the righteous. Amen. The reason God doesn't tear up the world right now is because you're still here. He's sparing mankind for you. The church is being persecuted for the first time in the history of America. There is no, there is no uh, evangelical Christian sitting on the court of the Supreme Court for the first time in our history. That's because we're being pushed away. And that's what persecution means. Pushed away, driven away. They're persecuting us not knowing that we are the very reason, reason judgment does not fall upon them. That's why your prayers are so important to help the people of this world. Your prayers are so important for society. And more than your prayers, as much as your prayers, let me say, vote. All right, I didn't, that didn't go over very good. As much as your prayers, register and vote. Amen. I mean, don't vote for anybody who's for killing babies in their mother's womb. My goodness. Thank you for that. Verse 27. Abraham answered and said, Behold, now I have taken upon me to speak unto the Lord, which am but dust and ashes. Abraham knew his, knew his normal, his, his physical state. Peradventure there shall lack five of the fifty righteous. Wilt thou destroy all the... He goes to 45 to 40 to 50. 
to 30 to 20 to 10. And he says in verse, verse uh, 32, and, the Lord, and he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak yet but this once. Now, Abraham knew at that point the blood of Jesus had not yet been shed, and that God still, still might get angry. He's sticking his neck out. You don't have this worry. You can stick your neck out and intercede for others, pray for others. Yeah. People you don't even believe are worthy of God's mercy. You can pray for them. Yeah. Peradventure 10 shall be found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for ten's sake. Verse 33, And the Lord went his way as soon as he had left communing with Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. Now what you need to know is the arrangement Abraham brokered was of no value in saving Sodom. The arrangement he brokered was of no value in saving Sodom. God had a right then, apparently, to go ahead and just destroy all of the city with all the people in it, including Lot according to this deal that he made. But did you notice, if you keep reading in the story, God would not destroy Lot and his two daughters and his wife. God on his own realized, let me say, God on his own acted upon what he already knew, but Abraham reminded him that it is wrong to take vengeance out on the evil by killing the righteous. And... So he sent the angel and took Lot and his two daughters and, and Salty out. <laughs> and Salty wasn't all that righteous because she wouldn't obey the Lord even after she had been delivered. Turned to a pillar of salt. Poor thing. Except that this one thing, it didn't, it didn't really work, but it did let us see that God is good and does not condemn the righteous with the wicked. Does not condemn the righteous with the wicked. Years ago, I was a, I was a, a superintendent of a Christian school. I was the head administrator of a Christian school because I was a senior pastor of the church. It automatically made me the, uh, the senior administrator of the school. And one day the principal came over to my office and said, Pastor John, did you know that so-and-sos are getting a divorce? No, I didn't know that. They were not people in our church, but they were people in the school. I said, I didn't know that. This happened after I had been over in the school a few days before And I often went into the schoolroom just because the teacher said, if you walk in with that coat and tie on, it gives us peace in this room for about an hour after you leave. 30 minutes to an hour, it's like the authority has arrived and the kids know that the authority can walk in the room anytime. Said so it just brings peace to the room. I said, okay, I'll, I'll come through there. And I really liked going in the first and second grade room because I could answer those questions. And I was down there with a second grader, and, and it, was a, it was a type of system called ACE. I don't know if any of you know anything about it, but they had booths and little cubicles. And, and if, they had a, if they had a question, they put a little flag up, and you'd go over there and answer their question, you know. And I felt confident, again, it was second grade. And there was a little girl who had a flag up, and I walked back there to her. Her name was Tiffany. And I said, Tiffany, how can I help you? And she said, oh, oh, Dr. Holler, Pastor John, uh, uh. 
I got this question, so I answered her question really quick. I was really good at it. <laughs> I said, anything else I can help you with, baby? And she turned up and looked at me like this, you know, eyes brimming with tears, a second grader. She said, yeah, pray for my mommy and daddy. They're getting a divorce. I said, oh, baby, that's not right. She said, no, it's not right. I said, well, all right, let's just pray right now together. So I got a hold of her, took her by the hand, knelt down there beside her, and we prayed. And we asked God to stop it. We asked God to do something that, that we couldn't do. We just prayed for her, her mommy and daddy to, to reconcile and come back, come back to the Lord in faith, you know, and, and, and do this right. And I said, in Jesus' name, amen. I said, now dry your tears. We believe God. She dried her tears. And believed, I know it's taking a chance. She dried her tears. She turned around happy and went on her way. A few days later then, the, superintendent, the, the principal came into my office and said, Dr. Holler, did you, did you know that, that Tiffany's parents were getting a divorce? And I said, no, I didn't know until I was over there with her the other day. And she, she told me. He said, well, there's good news. I said, what? He said, they've canceled their divorce plans and are in counseling with their pastor. I said, hallelujah. I jumped up and ran out of the room, over to the classroom, and I slid back there to where she was. I said, I've got to see Tiffany. The teacher said, there she is. And I ran back there. I said, Tiffany, Tiffany, I just heard the news. And she said, what? I said, about your parents not getting a divorce. She said, oh, it's, I know, it's so wonderful. I said, that's great, isn't it? We rejoiced for a little bit, and then she stopped. She said, that was on the news? <laughs> and it was a big deal to me, but... <laughs> you have certain rights as a believer because you believe in the right God. God is not an out to get you. He's out for you to get the world. He's not out to destroy anybody. He got tired of doing that. He really got through with doing that. That's why he blamed Jesus for what we did and executed him as though he was guilty of what we did. It's a wonderful story. There's no story like it that Christ died for our sins. And he was buried and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And whoever believes this wonderful, marvelous message of the grace of God becomes part of the family of God. Now you don't just call him God. When you talk to him directly, you call him Father. Jesus called God God, but he never talked to him but one time and calling him God. He, every time he, Jesus spoke to the Father, he called him Father. He is your Father. He taught us to pray, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Our Father. God is good and always does good. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your kindness and grace. We thank you that you are good and that you always do good. That you have given us rights that others do not have rights of a covenant. As long as we're here in this earth, we're, we're holding back the judgment that's going to be poured out on evil men. We thank you, Lord, that, that as righteous ones, we've already been judged, and we've been judged righteous. We thank you, Lord, our God, who that you are the God who does right all the time. There's never going to be a day when you infringe upon this covenant, Father. And we thank you for that. And I thank you today for these gathered here. And I pray for those that need to make a decision today. Those that need to say Jesus is Lord. Those that need to make Christ first in their life. 
and believe that you put him to death for our sake, that you raised him from the dead for our sake, that you took away our sins in the same moment that you took away his life and raised him from the dead.